All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king said, Is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power and for my glorious majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you is declared the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with animals of the field. You shall be made to eat the grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the sentence was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven away from human society, ate grass like oxen, and his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails became like bird's claws. When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and for reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured the one who lived, lives forever. For his sovereignty is in everlasting sovereignty and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he will, he does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors and my lords sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are truth, and his ways are justice, and he is able to bring low those who walk in pride. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nails like claws. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Like like birds' claws and hair as hair as long as eagle feathers doesn't doesn't really grab me. But the the nails like, like claws. I dare you to say that next time you see someone with long nails, <laughs> like birds' claws. Uh, it's a it's a challenging picture, isn't it? One of the greatest kings of the Bible brought to such a low place that he was like an animal in the field and didn't have a sane thought with him. Uh, someone who was looked to uh, as a god by uh, all the nations because uh, of the power that he carried and the, uh, the wars that, that raged and the, the rule, the reign that he had. Uh, all a, a gift from God that at a point in time was taken from him and he reached this place of, of deep humility. Uh, we're continuing in our series on rituals, so talking about our uh, approaching God and, and responding to the world uh, using the tools that God has, has given us. And so this morning as we're, we're thinking about this, uh, I want a question to sort of sit there in our mind. Does, does God want wholeness for me? 
Does God want wholeness for me? When I say the word wholeness, I think uh, I'm, I'm full as a, as a person. I'm, I'm content. I, I feel uh, altogether made the way I was meant to be and doing what I was meant to be doing. My, my relationships feel whole. Does God want wholeness for me? Is, is that part of his purpose? Uh, and so that question can sort of, sort of sit there in our mind. Is that God's purpose for me? We, we just prayed in their prayer, uh, God, uh, do on earth uh, what has been done in heaven. Do it on earth as it is in heaven. So if we're, we're praying to God and, and saying, uh, on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying, Lord, bring wholeness. Uh, in, in heaven there is no more tears, no more mourning. Bring wholeness here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, when Jesus came, he said, I, I came to give you life in the full. Not by half measure, but life in the full. So, so how do I as a Christian pursue being whole? How, how do I as a person in this world pursue being whole? In the world that we live in, it's you've got to have the right things. You've got to drive the right thing. You, you've got to live in the right place. You, you've got to eat the right foods. Uh, you need to be connected to the right people. Uh, you need to have the right job. There, there's so many things that, that our world says you, you need this in order to be whole. Uh, we're continually marketed with uh, products that we need. And marketers that are good are good at making us feel like we need something. And the, the marketing is, well, your life is not quite complete unless you have this one thing. And so all marketing is, uh, causes us to feel at some point uh, inadequate or not quite whole. And one of the ways we pursue wholeness is just the way the rest of the world kind of does, looking for quick fixes and quick patches in order to feel a sense of contentment or completeness as a person. Uh, one of the other ways that our, our world kind of thrusts on us wholeness is that uh, you need to kind of follow the pattern that's set there, that, that you need to get a good job, that you need to have a good house, you need to get married, you need to have kids. Uh, that's what wholeness looks like. But we all know Every family, every person uh, does not look the same. Every life circumstance, uh, as soon as you feel like it's whole, it feels like it changes. Uh, so, so how do I pursue being whole? I think it, it starts in this place of believing that actually God has better for me. We can say God has good things in store for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And we can quote scripture, but actually believing God has better for me. Does, do, you, do you believe in your heart of hearts that God has better planned for you? That, that's the starting point. Nebuchadnezzar as a person didn't have any doubts in his mind that better was in store for him. In fact, he, he could name something and it was his. He, he could name a country and it was his. One of the greatest kings ever known. Uh, he was the kind of guy that could 
bring down nations, bring down people, and make high demands. Daniel is a great book in the Old Testament. Maybe we'll look at it in detail more at some time. But we, we see Nebuchadnezzar is introduced to us as the king who has a dream, and then he says, I need someone to come and tell me the dream that I had and also the meaning of the dream. And all of his officials can't do it. So he gets rid of them. He cuts off their head. They're, they're a useless official because they can't tell him what he dreamt about last night and what it means. Daniel uh, prays to God and, and God gives him revelation. And then he comes to Nebuchadnezzar and said, you dreamt this and it means this. And Nebuchadnezzar's response is, truly the God of Daniel is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, uh, the, the revealer of mysteries. And Daniel's name, <laughs> following that time, because Daniel gets put in a place of authority in his kingdom, Daniel's name is, is Belteshazzar, not, not Daniel. And Belteshazzar is the name of Nebuchadnezzar's God. <laughs> So uh, Nebuchadnezzar draws close to him, Daniel, and then Daniel hangs out with him. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't quite get who God is. Nebuchadnezzar gets that he has access to God through Daniel. Uh, And so he wants to keep Daniel close. Then he goes and builds a golden statue and says, anyone who doesn't bow down to it is uh, going to lose their life and that's set up by some of the officials that don't like that people like Daniel and his mates uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, have got into this place of authority and then uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are thrown into the fire and they don't get burnt and they're rescued by an angel of the Lord and suddenly Nebuchadnezzar says well the, the, the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is the God who is all-powerful. No one should say anything against this particular God. Uh, So this is the the context of of where we are in Daniel 4, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar has recognized that the God is is real, the God of Daniel is able to work, he is powerful. Uh, Maybe he should pay attention to him. Uh, But what we see in the rule of Nebuchadnezzar is He had so much power uh, that he he didn't really understand what humility looked like. And he didn't necessarily understand that the person who who gave him the power that he had was God. Uh, Which is interesting for us to, to think on, and we don't have time to unpack now, but... When someone has authority or power, it's, it's given to them by God in order to be used to serve people. And so uh, God brings Nebuchadnezzar through this path of humility in order that he might be the kind of king that God wants him to be. He, he was the king that led God's people uh, from Jerusalem into exile. Uh, so, so he's had purposes that he served but now God brings him to a place of humility and so when we read uh, Daniel uh, chapter 4 this is what we're reading the, the 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 humbling of Nebuchadnezzar who suddenly goes from being a person full of power in his right mind leader of nations to someone who's eating the dew off the grass with with long claw like fingernails and long hair uh We see uh, Nebuchadnezzar's path of restoration 
And in some ways, it's a, it's a path of restoration that we can embrace as well. Uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. Uh, often when we're looking down at brokenness, uh, often we're in the, we're in the middle, uh, what, what we need is to lift our eyes to heaven. To, to look at the one who is able to change and to look to the one who is able to restore. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar, and if you're on page 721, you can have a look with me. Uh, he, he blesses uh, the Most High and he praises and honors the one who lives forever. And he says, for his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does what he wills with the host of heaven. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? And at that time, at that time of humility where suddenly he realizes that his hand with bird's claws is nothing and God is sovereign, God is everything, his reason returns to him and he's restored. And at that very moment, it uses the words, the glory, of, the glory of my kingdom. And you can see in there that he hasn't quite got that it's God's kingdom given to him, but he's reestablished in, into a place of authority. Uh, the end of Nebuchadnezzar isn't great. We, we learn that his sons didn't do particularly well. One of his sons didn't last very long. And then the next one, uh, next person that, that ruled didn't last particularly long and there's that's an interesting story in itself uh, but what i want us to grab from that is the path of humility is the way to restoration uh, pride comes before destruction or haughty spirit before a fall but the path of humility is the way of restoration the psalmist says when i came into your temple uh, that's when my eyes were open my, my spirit was lifted and so when we think about uh, loss being restored, uh, we, we need to think in the, the big picture of God leading us on a path. Uh, when we have looked at forgiveness and, and healing and waiting these uh, first few weeks of this series, uh, that's about leaving our past with God and then learning to find joy in God. A joy, it says in Proverbs 7.22, a joyful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. What's a crushed spirit? A, a spirit turned in on itself, uh, a, a spirit that is gone low uh, because they, they don't see anything beyond itself. But a joyful heart is, is good medicine. And when you go down to the doctor and the doctor says to you, uh, here, here's your prescription. Take it three times a day uh, just before a meal. You, you, you read the description uh, really carefully. Uh, then you go away and then you put the tablet somewhere that you're going to see them so that you can follow the, the medical prescription in order to come to a place of healing or wholeness. The prescription that, that we're given, the, the wisdom of God here, is a joyful heart, is good medicine. What are, what are we learning here? Learning to find joy in God, in his creation, is good medicine. Now, if a doctor says to us, take your prescription, we, we do it. 
Uh, here, Scripture is saying to us, actually, learning to find joy is part of the medicine for our soul that will bring wholeness uh, to our being. Uh, learning to find uh, joy uh, is work, uh, and what it is about is learning to look and see the world differently. Uh, yesterday morning, Hamish and I uh, went to Greenlink, which has these lots of native plants, and uh, Hamish got about eight plants, and I was really happy because at Greenlink, each plant's $2, and <laughs> so I didn't spend... He got a $4 plant in there. It ended up stretching. He, there was more than eight because it added up to 25 I don't, I don't know what their maths was, but at $25, I could never escape Bunnings with that many plants. And so... That was fantastic. Hamish was full of joy, and you can probably see them in the front yard of the vicarage if, if you want to have a wander past on, on your way after church. But when we were there, there was this lady, and she had this uh, box of plants. And the guy came up and he said, oh, do you want another box? And she said, oh, no, this is my quota for today. And as she said, I, I want to hang around uh, because I want to check out all the plants. And she'd go up to, to a plant, and she'd look at it, and you'd see her face go, and it was like her heart was full from seeing all these different plants. Now, I, I, my heart was full because my wallet was less empty and Hamish was happy. Uh, that, that brought me joy. But what I saw that she had in that moment, what she discovered was joy in God's creation before her. Uh, that she could go and look at each plant and find great joy in it. Uh, I thought, I don't have what she has. I'm not sure if I really want what she has, but I can see the joy on her life. Now, joy, joy is something that is often caught from other people. Uh, if you hang around people that have no joy, it's unlikely that you're going to find joy. If you hang around people that find joy, often uh, you will find joy uh, just as the overflow of them being joy-filled people. Uh, when I see someone full of joy, uh, particularly in their, their worship of God, I say, God, I want that kind of joy. I, I can see that in their heart of hearts, they are full of joy as they worship you. God, give me some of that. And, and my encouragement to you is that's a prayer that God loves to answer uh, for us to find joy in him. And so part of our, our path of, of our medicine for our soul is learning to find joy in God, but then part of the, the path is also learning to discover the, the future with God. When we think of wholeness, we often think of a time where we felt whole. Uh, we often think of other people who we, we look at and go, that, that person is whole, they've got it all together. Uh, but what God wants us to do is to discover what wholeness looks like for us. So I want to put a few questions up there. Uh, for us to look at. Uh, first one, what, what was God's original design for me? When he created each of you, he, he created you beautifully. He did well. <laughs> Sometimes we don't feel like he did well, but when he created each of you, he, he did really well. And so part of discovering what God's original design for us is discovering what he did well when he created us. And sometimes we need other people to tell us. Sometimes we need God to reveal it to us. And sometimes we need to accept that what he has done with us, he has done really well. 
And I bet if I spend enough time with, with all of you, there'll be some really clear things with each of you that God has done uniquely with you that he hasn't done with anyone else. And so discovering what God's original design was for me, that's part of finding wholeness or seeking restoration. And so a question in that is, where do I need to reevaluate what I find comfortable? What, I, what you and I find comfortable is not always what is best for us, is it? What you and I find comfortable is not always what is best for us. I, I find comfort in my, in my habits, in my patterns. I, I find comfort... Uh, in what I've done in the past. Uh, what God has prepared for us in the future is not always what we have done in the past. And so what do I need to leave behind? What comforts do I need to be willing to let go of in order to embrace how God has prepared wholeness for me? And so where do I need courage to, be, to believe and be made new? Where do I need courage to believe that God actually has something better planned for me and to be made new? Uh, in, in Christ, it is said, behold, you are a new creation. That means you are a new person. That means we can't look at who we've always been and say that's who we're always going to be. It's that we're discovering who we are in Christ. And that on earth as it is in heaven is about us getting a understanding of who he's made us to be in eternity so where do i need courage and so how can i begin to look more directly to god instead of to other people who represent him i think nebuchadnezzar's main point of downfall is he looked to other people uh, to provide for him what god wanted to give him himself he looked to others uh, to give him what he could only get from God. He needed the, the humility to come to God who restored him, but then also to walk with God who wanted to lead him. And so how can I begin to look more directly to God and, and seek him to guide my steps? Other people are great and, and helpful and part of that process, but we also need to be a people that can walk in step with his spirit ourselves uh, let me encourage you that that restoring uh, what is lost uh, bringing wholeness takes time uh, if you ever find yourself in a, in a pattern of feeling inadequate or, or living out brokenness uh, coming to a place of wholeness takes time because we're learning to live new ways think new thoughts and walk differently in this world. Uh, it's not something that happens in an instant, but it is, it is something that happens as we take that continuing long-term prescription of joy. It's a, it's a process of joyful expectancy in the midst of sorrow. What's the sorrow about? The, the sorrow is about the, the past and the present that is not quite whole, but then the Joyful expectancy is the confidence of, God, of what God will do to bring fullness in the future. And so the, the walk of a Christian is also, is also often this joyful expectancy, the God who has not quite yet, but will. And so that confidence that we're able to walk out in God. 
In Joel 2, it says this, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Uh, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people will never be put to shame. Uh, It continues in verse 29 and it says, And I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Young and old, they will prophesy. Uh, They will have dreams and see visions. Where where does that connect in? Well, well, next week uh, is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Acts 2 quotes from Joel. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit Our being full of the Holy Spirit is about wholeness for you and I. That God will pour from himself his spirit to come and live in us in order to lead us to a place of wholeness in him. And so as Christians, uh, we we, we leave the past with God. We learn to find joy in God in, in the present and we learn to discover the future with God with a joyful expectancy as we live in the power of his spirit.